Hi, this is Steve Thompson, and we left off in the middle of chapter 5 with Nehemiah calling together all of the religious and political leaders of Jerusalem to challenge them. Now, I don't know if this is a super condensed version of the meeting where we just get the premise and the outcome, but based on what we have, as soon as Nehemiah made his case, everyone simply said, you're right, we're sorry. Now wait, what? what's going on here that after one meeting and one short speech, they're all willing to admit that they were wrong, return everything they had accrued through interest and unreasonable taxes, and stop mistreating their Jewish brothers and sisters? I mean, what I would have expected is something along the lines of, look, we know you've got the backing of King Artaxerxes. So we'll help you with the wall, but there's no way we're going to disadvantage ourselves in this godforsaken place. We've got it good. It's not our fault they don't know how to manage their money. But that's not what happened. So how is it that Nehemiah was able to persuade them so seemingly easily? Well, let's read chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. Moreover, From the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his thirty-second year, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took forty shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Indeed, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all that I have done for these people. In other words, Nehemiah was saying, I totally could have put all this on the expense account, but it just didn't feel right to do that to these people that I love and care about, so I just paid for all of these expenses out of my own pocket. Nehemiah had every right to continue living the high life of his predecessors. After all, with position comes privilege. I mean, when you're responsible for such a huge task in such an important place, you deserve to be compensated for it, right? But Nehemiah refused to take advantage of his position. And I'd refer you to Philippians 2 for some really similar language and attitudes. Nehemiah lived on the same level with the people he was leading. He was truly a public servant long before any kind of democratically elected officials were ever even conceived of. The priests and government officials, on the other hand, They had no right, and they were, in fact, knowingly breaking God's law in taking advantage of the people. So, 
Do you see what's going on here? Does this help clarify why everyone in the city was not just pitching in, but jumping into this reconstruction project with incredible enthusiasm and excitement? Do you see why these leaders really didn't have any other alternative but to say, you're right, and we were wrong? We just finished a teaching series in our gatherings called Influence. And right here in this passage, we find out that Nehemiah had tapped into the most foundational, crucial, essential characteristics for wielding influence. Influence is nearly automatic when a person has the courage to align their life, their decisions, and their actions with their stated convictions or with their stated vision for life. There's actually a phrase that describes this confluence of conviction and action, of belief and behavior. It's called moral authority. I'm sure you've seen this before. There are certain people whose opinions carry far more weight than everyone else. And it's not just because they have positional authority. Shoot, they might not even have the title or the position, but their lives line up with their values in such a way that when they speak, people listen, and rarely do people push back. I think the easiest and greatest example of moral authority in our time has been Mother Teresa, this young lady from Macedonia who at the age of 19 moved to India and began her work amongst the poorest of the poor. Within years of her taking her vows as a nun, she would begin her own order that provided care for the sick and the dying. And in a culture built upon a religious caste system that pushes the weak and the marginalized to their own devices and ends, there was really a lot of distrust of these women who cared for the dying that no one else gave a rip about. So much so that local Hindu priests tried to get them expelled from their town. But everything seemed to change when one of those Hindu priests became ill and was given only months to live. Now the same system which he helped to support was pushing him out of their hospitals and care facilities to die alone on the streets. But Mother Teresa took him in and personally nursed him until he passed away. Now fast forward to 1994 at a national prayer breakfast here in the United States where she unassumingly climbed her step stool to the podium as an invited speaker and to an audience of politicians and Washington networkers and newsmakers from across the political spectrum, she began to speak out against abortion. She unflinchingly and matter-of-factly expounded on her belief that, quote, the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. A smattering of applause slowly gained momentum throughout the conference center that literally then took minutes to die down while those who disagreed with her position just congenially smiled at her without joining in the clapping. 
And there were definitely critics of her speech that day and in the press. But in the end, you know what? They kind of all seemed to ring hollow, if not shallow, in the face of simple words spoken by a simple woman who had poured out her life on behalf of so many lives that the world had swept under the rug. She had moral authority because of how her life aligned with her beliefs and hopes and ideals. The other pathway that Mother Teresa shared with Nehemiah that led them both to a platform of influence was sacrifice. You don't sacrifice for the sake of gaining moral authority. You sacrifice because you stand in awe of God and revere and fear your God. You're willing to do whatever it takes to see the hope and redemption and beauty of the vision that you've been given become a reality. It's not difficult at all, really, to see why people were willing to follow this guy who had recently emigrated back to his hometown from captivity. It wasn't because of the credentials he carried. It was because he and everyone around him was willing to put their own personal agendas and interests down out of a visible passion to see this community rise up and rebuild. I could so easily do an entire message on this principle here. But instead, I'm going to wrap up with just a few questions to help us listen to what God might be saying to each of us at this point. So if you're in a position of influence, ask yourself this. Are people following me because they have to, because of my title or position? Or are they following me because they respect me? or my integrity, or the sacrifices that I've made? Have I lost influence with my kids, or my spouse, or my coworkers, or my boss, or my teammates, or my friends, because I've given up moral authority? In other words, have I made some decisions, some bad decisions, that completely undermine the vision, or the mission, or the mission, or the values that I've talked about? If so, God, would you point out what is it that I did? And who did I lose credibility with? How do I make that right? How do I make restitution? So again, those questions are, if I've messed up, if I've undermined my moral authority, what did I do? Who did I lose credibility with? How do I make it right? Father God, would you speak to us right now about our character, our integrity, our moral authority? I, I know we're all imperfect people, just doing the best we can, but in your mercy, would you point out the areas in our lives in which our walk does not line up with our talk? Show us our blind spots so that we don't have this massive gap in our desire to be part of your kingdom becoming more and more a reality, and yet our lives telling a different story. Where have we screwed up? Father, we confess it, we ask for your forgiveness, and we ask that you gently lead us to make restitution, to make it right. Show us how. 
In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.